getting into that time of year when it's all change for summer. And I think that's good. Uh, it's good to have a change. Good to be able to dip in and out of things that perhaps we don't normally dip in and out of. Our call to worship this morning is from the letter to the church at Philippi, chapter 2. And these are, are very familiar words, I'm sure. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Being born in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Our opening hymn this morning is number 283 in the hymn book. The words are also on the screen. And you're invited, if you're able to stand as we sing, Come Down, O Love Divine.
Our prayer of approach this morning is going to take the form of guided silent prayer in which we are invited to bring to God our own thanksgiving and confession in response to some prompts. And then we'll join together in what is sometimes referred to as the family prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught to his followers. So let's come together before God in prayer. Let's pray. Creator God, we, your beloved creatures, gather in the name of your Son, Jesus, to worship you. Whether or not we've been aware of it, you have shared every moment of the past week with us. And now we come to offer you our thanks and praise. For one aspect of the natural world that has brought us delight. For one person who has demonstrated to us your love. For one event or activity that has proved fulfilling. For one meal or snack that was especially tasty. For one memory made or recalled that is precious. Redeemer God, as we have recalled so much that is good, we also recognise that there is much in our world and in our lives that is in need of redemption, forgiveness and renewal. And so we recall before you now one news item that has disturbed our ease or made us sad. One person who, however unintentionally, we may have slighted or hurt. One moment when we felt discouraged or unfulfilled. One occasion when we missed the opportunity to savour our many blessings. One regret that, if unredeemed, could form a harmful memory. Sustain a God, ever present, ever active, ever patient, ever loving, upholding, renewing, recreating and refreshing all you create. We gather our private prayers in the public sharing of the prayer Jesus taught his followers as we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom,
I wonder if you can all count. Can you count? Can you count up to 40? That's good. Because we're going to do a game where you need to keep count yourselves of how many points you score in this little game. I'm going to ask 40 questions and you're going to keep your own count as to whether the answer is yes. If the answer for you is yes, you get a point. If the answer for you is no, you don't get a point. So there are 40 questions and I'll go through them reasonably quickly because we've all got other things to be doing. Okay, are you ready? Keep count as you go. Question one. You give yourself a point if you are wearing socks. Are under 18 years old. Are a girl or a woman. If you like ice cream. If you sometimes feel sad. If you have black hair. If you like playing sport, if you're a boy or a man, if you have green or hazel eyes, if you have a pet, if you sometimes feel angry, I'll put this one down twice, if you're a boy, so also if you're a girl, we'll make that one either way. If you're over 60 years old, if you like lemonade, if you're wearing a dress, if you have red or auburn hair, if you have brown eyes, if you sometimes tell lies, if you were born in Scotland, if you have brown hair. If you live in a flat. If you sometimes say things that are unkind. If you're a vegetarian or a vegan. If you have blue or grey eyes. If you're aged between 18 and 30. If you sometimes find it difficult to share. If you can drive a car, if you can play a musical instrument, if you sometimes cheat at games, if you eat meat or fish, if you were born outside the UK, if you're sometimes greedy or selfish. If you have grey or white hair. If you're aged between 31 and 60. If you have been on television or on the radio. If you sometimes do things that get you told off. If you were born in Wales, Northern Ireland or England. If you can ride a bicycle. If you sometimes feel inadequate. And if you can swim. That's my 40 questions. Did anybody get 40 points? Because if you did, you were cheating. 
Did anybody get 30 points or more? Did anybody get 25 points or more? Anybody get 25 or more? How many did you get, Freya? You got 25? 25. That's the maximum you could get when I tested it because I went through and the maximum you could get was 25. So well done. Anybody get over 20? Yep, most people got 20 or over. Anybody get under 10? Oh, that's good to know. So it's not really a proper quiz because it's like, yeah, everybody's going to get some questions and nobody can get all of them because you can't be all the different ages at once and you can't have all the colours of eyes. But everybody matters. And everybody is a mixture of things that are good that we want to celebrate. And everybody also has a few little things that don't quite go so well, like you sometimes tell lies or you're sometimes a bit mean or you sometimes wish you hadn't said something. Well, I certainly do anyway. So we're all a unique mixture. It's a bit similar to what we were saying over the last few weeks, really, just reminding ourselves of that again, that everybody's different and everybody matters. And it doesn't matter how old you are or what colour hair you've got, or I should have had if you have no hair, probably, just in case anybody hadn't got any hair. It doesn't matter where you, know, where you were born. It doesn't matter if you've been on TV or radio. Everybody matters and everybody's important. And of course, the thing that's supposed to hold us together, this is where you get to the Jesus bit, isn't it? Because you have to get there eventually. What's the thing that's meant to hold us all together in all our differences? One word. Anybody remember? Love. Love, thank you. I'll pay you later, Addy. <laughs> the thing that holds us together is love. So we're going to sing a song. Um, it's a bit of an old song, and I have played a bit fast and loose with the words in a couple of places. But I hope um, it will be reasonably well known. Let there be love shared among us. We're going to sing it twice, Paul. Thank you. Our first reading is from Mark 10, 
verses 35 to 39. Then James and John, the sons of Debedi, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, there is something we want you to do for us. What is it? Jesus asked them. They answered, when you sit on your throne in your glorious kingdom, we want you to let us sit with you, one at your right and one at your left. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking for. Can you drink the cup of suffering that I must drink? Can you be baptized in the way I must be baptized? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup. I must drink and be baptized in the way I must be baptized. And our second reading is from the third letter of John. From the elder to my dear Gaius, whom I truly love. My dear friend, I pray that everything may go well with you and that you may be in good health, as I know you are well in spirit. I was so happy when Christian brothers arrived and told me how faithful you are to the truth. Just as you always live in the truth, nothing makes me happier than to hear that my children live in the truth. Gaius is praised. My dear friend, you are so faithful in the work you do for your fellow Christians, even when they are strangers. They have spoken to the church here about your love. Please help them to continue their journey in a way that will please God, for they set out on their journey in the service of Christ without accepting any help from believers. We Christians then must help these people so that we may share in their work for the truth. Diotrephes and Demetrius, I wrote a short letter to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to be their leader, will not pay any attention to what I say. When I come then, I will call attention to everything he has done, the terrible things he says about us and the lies he tells. But that is not enough for him. He will not receive the Christian brothers when they come and even stops those who want to receive them and tries to drive them out of the church. My dear friend, do not imitate what is bad but imitate what is good. Whoever does good belongs to God. Whoever does what is bad has not seen God. Everyone speaks well of Demetrius. Truth itself speaks well of him. And we add our testimony. And you know that what we say is true. Final greetings. I have so much to tell you, but I do not want to put it with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and then we will talk personally. Peace be with you. All your friends send greetings. Greet all our friends personally. Amen.
So we're going to look at the third letter of John this morning in our short series on the shortest books in the Bible. And this is the absolutely shortest book in the whole Bible. But not only that, it's one of the books in the Bible that is particularly unusual in its style and content. There is no direct reference to God, no direct reference to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit. And according to scholars, it is distinctly secular in its style. And it's probably fair to say it is one of the least preached upon parts of the scriptures. And at first sight or first hearing, it may seem that there is little, if anything, to say about it and little for it to say to us. And yet, when they finally did close the canon of scripture, there it was, part of a small corpus of writing generally accepted to be associated with what is referred to as the Johannine community of little churches in and around Ephesus, centering on the the gospel attributed to John. If the gospel is a carefully structured and reflective version of the life of Jesus and revelation an equally carefully coded reflection on apocryphal visions, then what these three letters do is take us deeper and deeper into the life of a real community and some real people. The first letter, which is the longest, is a general epistle to the Johannine churches as they begin to experience internal struggles arising not least from their broad membership. And if you were here a few weeks ago, you remember I talked about this at some length. It was a membership of Jews and Gentiles, people with a high Christology and people with a low Christology. And that letter seems to remind them of the core mandate of Jesus to love one another as God has loved them. And this broad church thing was something I centred on a lot when we looked at John chapter, sorry, sorry, second letter of John, which was probably sent to a specific local church. And it's thought to reflect a time when people who were becoming dissatisfied with the demands of this diverse and broadly inclusive church were not only leaving, but were seeking to infiltrate and disturb other congregations who were committed to such a model. And uh, when we looked at this short epistle, we recognised there's an inextricable link between truth and love and the challenges that we face in our own church as we seek to celebrate diversity and in our aspirations towards inclusivity. We know that that is demanding, we know it's difficult, and we know that we continue to disappoint each other and be disappointed by each other as we travel that journey, but it's one we remain committed to. So rather than a narrow doctrinal idea of walking in truth based on prescribed beliefs, we thought about the idea of walking truly in accordance with the Jesus story and expressed in the kind of resilient love that's described in the the hymn to love in 1 Corinthians 13. This third letter narrows our focus down even further and we're granted a glimpse into one specific congregation And within it, a letter to one specific leader, a man called Gaius. That's a Roman name, apparently, and it means something like rejoice. And Gaius is facing the challenge of serving a church in which the potential for conflict and disintegration has become very real, not least because of the influence of one very strong character, a man called Diotrephes. 
And within the letter, another man named Demetrius, which was overtly a pagan name, it means the one born of Demeter, the goddess of the harvest, is warmly commended to Gaius as somebody who perhaps would support, encourage or help him as he addresses these challenges. And whilst we cannot be certain who any of these men were, or any details of the situation that was causing so much um, angst to the author of the letter, we are granted some insightful glimpses to their personalities that perhaps are worth pondering a little bit. I think it would be quite easy for any of us to identify ourselves with one character or another, or to recognise something of the others that we don't identify with in other people. But what I want to suggest is that most, if not all of us, have the potential to be a Gaius, a Diotrephes, and a Demetrius, if the context or circumstances are appropriate or seem to dictate the way we react. So as we necessarily briefly reflect on these men and what we can learn from them, perhaps we will find some resonance with our own personalities and our own experiences our own need for a bit of encouragement or affirmation, and possibly also a little bit of challenge. Dear Gaius, I hope you are well. The letter opens with warm greetings to a man who is truly loved by the writer, with a polite expression for good wishes for his physical health. This is a secular greeting. It's probably the only one in the letters in the New Testament that makes any mention of the health of the person to whom it is written. And it has a familiar ring in, its own ty- in our own time, I think. When we write to friends, we'll say, dear so-and-so, how are you? Or how, how are you doing? Hope you're well. This is a letter from one friend to another. And so there is a sense that probably permission is given to be a little bit more honest than in a formal letter to an organisation. And in just a few words, we discover a lot about the character of Gaius and why he is so fondly recalled by the writer. He is a man recognised for his spirituality. It is well with his soul. And he's almost certainly a man of some influence within his local church. He's recognised for his loyalty and faithfulness, standing firm in the ways of truth as understood within that faith community. And it's implied then that he is a man who embraces the challenge of this multi-ethnic church and its theological diversity and the overriding principle of love. Gaius is faithful in all he does for the friends, the members of the local church. And it also seems he's faithful and loving towards the messengers or missionaries sent from other congregations because they too speak well of him. There's no doubt that Gaius is well-respected, trusted, hard-working, sound, by their definitions of sound, and generous. But he's not perfect. He has his limits, his foibles, and his failings. And in one brief sentence, we discover something of this. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Some of the commentators I looked at suggest that this implies he's somebody who was easily led. 
that he could easily fall prey to the dominant characters in the church whose understandings were at odds with those of the wider community. Well, maybe that's true. But maybe it isn't. Perhaps he's somebody who's just naturally a bit timid. Perhaps he fears conflict or tries to avoid conflict. Perhaps he needs to be needed and likes to be liked. Perhaps he's got his own questions and doubts that he's trying to work through. But whatever the truth is, he's being called to stand up for the truth as perceived within that community, even when that is personally challenging and uncomfortable. Does that ring any bells for anybody? Because I certainly see something of myself when I I read that uh, account of what Gaius might have been like. The reluctance or weaknesses in my own personality sometimes can be quite significant and perhaps crippling. So what about Diotrephes, the man who is causing the difficulties? He's a man of considerable influence who's undermining the community with his attitudes and actions. Mention is made of an earlier letter, quite probably 1 John, but it could be 2 John, that he has read and chosen to ignore. Like James and John, the sons of thunder among Jesus' own disciples who we heard about, it seems that Diotrephes is somebody who is motivated by power and status. He doesn't understand that within the community of love, leadership is to be servant-hearted. Even the canotic, self-emptying kind of leadership that emulates the character of Jesus that we heard about at the start of the service. There's nothing in the letter to suggest any doctrinal heresy on the part of Diotrephes, and the scholars are all pretty much agreed that his theology is within the accepted bounds of orthodoxy of his time. The problem is his attitudes and his actions. His crimes are that he is inhospitable. He refuses to welcome friends from other related communities. And he is going around expelling people from the local community. The most generous way we can read that is to say he's being overzealous in applying the instructions in 2 John to have nothing to do with the secessionists, the people who were leaving and causing trouble. But it's more likely that he is unilaterally deciding who is in and who is out. The heresy, then, is a failure to live out the love command. In a broad church, the test of orthodoxy, right belief, lies in orthopraxy, right behaviour, right living, and it seems that he has refused to accept this. He knows what he should be doing, but he's not doing it. I hope that I'm not self-serving like that and that I don't think too highly of myself. But the reality is, of course, sometimes I do like to be recognised for what I do. And sometimes it will be really nice and easy to say, well, this is what we're going to do, folks. This is how it's going to be. And I wonder how it is for you. Because I think for many of us, sometimes there is a temptation to act unilaterally, intemperately, 
in ways that are based on me and my status or you and your status rather than holding together in a more complicated, slower-moving way that risks disappointment and disillusionment. Holding together the, the faith and values of our church and tradition is not always easy, especially when it conflicts, perhaps sometimes, with our own understandings. So I am left wondering, for us, are our heresies, if we choose to use that word, more likely to be doctrinal in what we believe or behavioural in what we do? And if somebody was writing a letter to us as a church and as individuals, what would they say to us uh, to challenge us, to criticise things that we're perhaps not doing so well? And then lastly is Demetrius, the man about whom we know far less than the other two, and we don't know much about them, to be honest. All we know is that he is warmly commended by the writer and is well respected by members of the community. So so why is he being commended to Gaius? Well, here the commentators, the theologians, the scholars, they resort to some very heavy speculation. The truth is they don't know, so they make it up. Perhaps, they suggest, he is being commended to work alongside Gaius to help him as he works out how to respond to the challenges personified by Diotrephes. Perhaps he's being commended to act on behalf of the wider community and to challenge Diotrephes directly. The local church can't do it. Perhaps he's going to come in and help doing that. Possibly he is being commended as a mentor to or a confidant for Gaius. We don't know. What does seem likely is he's a man of a very different background from Gaius. Somebody who embodies the diversity which is essential in that church. Perhaps he has personality gifts and practical skills to complement those that Gaius has. Maybe, as the two of them work together, the often quoted expression, iron sharpens iron, will find a lived expression. Maybe in learning to value someone very different from himself, each man will continue to grow in faith and in grace. But above all, I suggest that I sense that Demetrius is being commended as somebody to support and encourage Gaius in the good work that he's doing. And so I wonder who could be a Demetrius for us who could encourage and support us? And to whom could we be, the Demetrius? Who could we support and encourage? Who might we mentor or coach, encourage or support? And who might do or be those things for us? So in just over 200 words, we've met three men, all of them part of a broad church that embraces and celebrates diversity. One of them is overtly respected and praised. One of them has attitudes and actions that are causing difficulty. And one of them is available to support and encourage another of them. And I suspect in each of those three men, we may detect a little bit of ourselves, a hint of our own strengths and weaknesses. 
One overarching challenge we have as a community of faith is to do and to be what we believe God has called us to do and to be within the Baptist Union of Scotland, within the Baptist Union of Great Britain, at this time and at this place. So we need to work together, love, encourage and support each other as we seek to live out what we believe that calling to be. So what we're going to do now is just take two or three minutes of silence to reflect on what we've heard, what we've sung, and quietly commend ourselves to God and commend our thoughts to God as we respond to that letter written by John to somebody a bit like any of us in a church a bit like ours. Lord, whose love in humble service bore the weight of human need, who didst on the cross forsaken work thy mercy's perfect deed, we, thy servants, bring the worship, not of voice alone, but heart, consecrating to thy purpose every gift thou dost impart. If you're able, you are invited to stand as we sing.
prayers for others this morning are taken from the resource Holy Ground from the Wild Goose Resource Group. Um, in this prayer, they invite us to pray for our cities. Um, I'd like you to join me in prayer. O God, who knows all the struggles and sufferings of your people, hear us as we pray for city communities near to us and far away. Cities where hope seems hard to find, self-worth easily crushed, and where so many live with fear and loneliness, suspicion and rejection. Help us as we work to heal the pain of our cities. Let the streets of our cities be holy ground. O God who has promised to your people a good land, we pray that our cities may become places where all people can live with freedom and dignity, where shelter, food, warmth and friendship are in abundance and where all have a sense of worth and belonging. Let the streets of our cities be holy ground. O God, who cares for each one of your people, we pray for all who work to build community in the streets of our cities, through youth work, night shelters, day centres, lunch clubs, community projects, soup kitchens. Give courage to all who work together for your kingdom of justice, peace and love. Let the streets of our cities be holy ground. O God, who through your Son brings light into the darkest places, hear us as we pray for the dark places of our city, the poorest communities, the no-go areas, the derelict and desolate places, the painful places. Let the streets of our cities be holy ground. God, who in Jesus suffered humiliation and violence, and yet who overcame even death, hear our prayer for those who struggle daily against racism, violence, homophobia, poverty and homelessness, yet still retain their dignity and continue to live with hope. Let the streets of our cities be holy ground. O Christ, who wept for the city you loved, you ministered and preached in cities and you walk the streets of our cities today. Open our eyes to see you. Give us words to speak of healing and renewal. Give us the tools to build cities of joy and communities of hope. Send us into the streets in witness, in praise and in protest. Let the streets of our cities be holy ground. Holy God, in the streets of the cities, your people walk with faith and hope. Walk with us. Lead us to paths of righteousness. Come and create holy ground beneath our feet. Amen.
Where love and charity meet, there God is found. Lord God, we have brought these gifts of money, and with them we bring the gift of ourselves, that each may be employed in the good news of the gospel in this place and beyond. Amen. So, closing him, we return to where we started with the words from Philippians that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess him King of glory now. Please stand if you're able as we sing.
God who is found in the humbleness of Christ. God who loves us in the fluidity of your spirit. God who is with us always in all times and all places. As we go from here, may we be encouraged and inspired to live and to work, to be and to do, to your praise and glory, now and always. Thank you.